During the First World War, Edith Stein voluntarily suspended her academic studies to serve with the Red Cross as a nurse in a military hospital devoted to soldiers with contagious diseases. In his 2006 book, Edith Stein, A Philosophical Prologue, the celebrated philosopher Alastair MacIntyre had the following to say about this period in Stein's life. Edith Stein's time as a nurse was important to her in a variety of ways. She encountered a far wider range of types of human being drawn from different social classes than she had met before. Among the patients, there were speakers of all the languages of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, not only German and Hungarian, but also Czech, Slovak, Slovenian, Ruthenian, Polish, Russian, and Italian. There were recurrently problems about how to communicate to the patients what the physicians or the nurses needed to tell them, and also about how to interpret what the patients were trying to communicate or, on occasion, to conceal. Moreover, cooperation between physicians and nurses between wards was not always easy, so it was important to present oneself to colleagues as trustworthy and reliable, something that was also important in winning the confidence of suspicious or frightened patients. When Stein had chosen empathy as the subject of her dissertation, it had been because Husserl had so far not given an account of it, and because a good account of it was necessary if some of his central claims was to, were to be sustained. But now, at Marisch Weisenkirchen, the questions of how to be aware of the feelings and judgments of others, and of what it was in one's own speech and bearing to which those others were responding and acting as they did, had become questions of daily, practical import. That's Alastair McIntyre. My name is Matt Cheminsky. This is the Curious Catholic Podcast. When it came time to select a topic for her doctoral dissertation in philosophy, the young Edith Stein eventually settled on the topic of empathy. Today, this work of hers can be read in English under the title On the Problem of Empathy. The word in German for empathy is Einfühlung, which gives a sense of inward feeling. More than just a sympathetic awareness of the feelings and thoughts of others, empathy is understood as the very experience within ourselves of the experience of other persons. In a way, we bear within ourselves the life of other persons, thus opening up the very possibility of interpersonal life. There is much to remark upon in Stein's thought on empathy, so in today's episode I'll be talking with Donald Wallenfang, Professor of Philosophy and Theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, Michigan. Donald is a secular discalced Carmelite and received his Ph.D. from Loyola University, Chicago. He specializes in phenomenology, hermeneutics, metaphysics, and philosophical theology. Donald has written and edited numerous books, articles, and essays, but today we discuss his work titled Human and Divine Being a study on the theological anthropology of Edith Stein. This episode is part one of two. Today we'll begin our consideration of Stein's thought on empathy and bring it all the way home in next week's episode. All right, so let's get to my conversation with Donald Wallenfang. 
But I remember coming across uh, a kind of vignette, a little biography of the life of St. Edith Stein. And anyone who died uh, in the Holocaust, like Maxim, St. Maximilian Kolbe, for example, anyone like like this really got my attention. There was something about martyrdom in general, and especially a more recent martyrdom that really grabbed my attention. In addition uh, to her death in the gas chamber in Auschwitz, August 9th, 1942, what fascinated me about St. Edith was her passionate search for truth, especially amid the dark experiences of life. So it was really the plot of her life story that captivated me, how she was raised Jewish and then became atheist, not this kind of lazy agnosticism or just disgruntled atheism, but a very serious atheism, wanting evidence for God. And then through that passionate pursuit of truth, it led her to this remarkable, unexpected conversion to the Catholic faith, and then further on in life, becoming a discalced Carmelite nun. So all that she went through, even at such a young age, everything going on in her life, and the high stakes it all involved, it just really spoke to me, even in my own youth. And I was attracted to the way that she contemplated truth with a penetrating intensity. I mean, there's so much within just her life, but then obviously her academic work as well. And so you wrote a book focusing on her theological anthropology titled Human and Divine Being. And I'm just wondering if you could first start us off by giving us a sense of what theological anthropology even is. Sure. Yeah. I think most people are familiar with the term anthropology and it's even its own uh, field in social behavioral science. Uh, but to say, and so anthropology itself, coming from the Greek word anthropos, that means human. And to say allergy at the end is like the science of of the human being. Um, and to put theological in front of it is essentially to ask the question of the human being in light of the question of divine being. So I think this makes all the difference in how we understand ourselves as anthropoi, as human beings, if we're at the same time asking the question of God, even and then constantly asking that question of God uh, to help better understand ourselves in our relation to God, relation to the one to whom we owe our existence and our being. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about her background, Stein's background, being raised Jewish and then becoming a committed, questioning atheist. Um, and regarding her, her writing career, uh, you know, she starts in, the, in that place of, of atheism as, a, as an early phenomenologist and student of Edmund Husserl. And she ends it, though, as a Carmelite nun in a monastery. So I'm wondering if you can give us a sense of how that all works out as far as how she did her work and her, how she conducted her thinking and writing, because, you know, there's such a, a development there. I'm wondering if you give us a sense of how she, you know, uh, embodied all of that in her writing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Even from a young age, 
a little saint to become Edith was a very intense student in all of her studies. She got very high grades and even the principal from her secondary school playing off the word of her last name Stein in German means stone. And and he said, strike the stone and treasures will gush forth. Wow. <laughs> so she was quite precocious at this young age and exhibited uh, so much talent in uh, academics and a very sharp intellect. As she got older, she began to focus her studies on history and languages and literature. She was very good at language and good at translating things, uh, but she was a kind of um, polymath of sorts, especially within the liberal arts fields, again, in the, the stuff of history and language and literature. Then her interests went toward psychology. She was always very enthralled with the human person and, and what makes the human person tick and what motivates the human person and in all of these facets of conscious life. So she was studying psychology for a while, and that's when um, she moved toward philosophy, hearing about, as you said, Edmund Husserl and his new method called phenomenology, how it overcame uh, this tendency toward what was called psychologism or a, a sort of relativism uh, based on this um, fluid idea of subjectivity. And she was very uh, attracted to the prospect of returning with Husserl to the things themselves, to a real unshakable objectivity of what is true, even with human beings and even with uh, subjectivity and all its processes. So the genealogy of method kind of evolved along these lines. And then she converted to Catholicism at the age of 30, was, was baptized then after uh, a lot of influence from different uh, Christian, both Catholic and Protestant friends. And she even had an encounter, a nocturnal encounter, uh, staying the night at one of her friends' house, Hedwig Conrad Martius, and, and her husband, she was staying at their home, and they had a little library, and she came across St. Teresa of Avila's autobiography and read and read and read the book through the night and into the morning she closes the book and says, this is the truth. Uh, so still pursuing truth of the passion and she would find an even greater flowering of truth in studying the work of St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor of the church, and even would translate uh, one of his uh, treatises on truth, De Veritate, from Latin to German. And this was very influential in her method, combining now phenomenology and Thomistic metaphysics, and then finally becoming a Carmelite nun and growing in, in the mystical spiritual life in addition to all these other things. And her superiors continued to invite her and encourage her to write uh, works in philosophy and theology, even as a Carmelite nun. Hmm. And, you know, today... We're going to focus on just one aspect of her work, but it seems to connect with so much of not only her her writing but her life in general, and it goes back to the topic of her of her doctoral dissertation and the topic being empathy. And uh, you devote a beautiful chapter in your book, Human and Divine Being, to her thought on empathy. 
But it's interesting in that chapter, you begin by considering how we ourselves, um, for our own sense of self, require encounters with others. Mm -hmm. So why is this encounter with the other so important for my understanding of myself or my uh, sort of development as a person? Yeah, really, I think for St. Edith goes back to God's revelation to the Jewish people, uh, remembering that she was raised Jewish, raised in this incredible tradition of faith. And when we think of Judaism, we think of this radical ethical monotheism, this Torah at the heart of life, and that what is most essential to life is the ethical relationship between the self and the other. So for St. Edith, as she's thinking through all these things and drawn to the concept of empathy, uh, what's essential to the phenomenon of empathy and the experience of empathy is what's called alterity or otherness, and especially in this case, the face of the personal other. So this is a premier Jewish motif, first of all, but we can unpack it in philosophical terms as well. And many tremendous um, Jewish philosophers in particular have unpacked these notions such as Martin Buber or Emmanuel Levinas, uh, for example, and Edith Stein as well. Uh, so otherness is also very integral to the method of phenomenology in itself because for phenomenology, what is prioritized is the phenomenon that gives itself to the self. There's an otherness of every phenomenon. There's an otherness of everything that we enjoy that's not identical to the self. And phenomenology describes this process by which a given phenomenon gives itself to the human subject and how the human subject receives this phenomenon. So it's more this form of call and response, and the accent is on the call of the otherness of the phenomenon, especially for, you could say, phenomenological ethics, the otherness of the other person who faces me. So the human subject, the self, for phenomenology, emerges, comes to surface at the behest of an ethical summons, you could say. The call of the other drives uh, the birth of the self. And there's this African proverb, I think, that speaks of this well. It's a kind of a spin on Rene Descartes' cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. So the African proverb goes, I am because we are. Because we are, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. And so for Edith, it's empathy is this movement of the I and the you becoming a we. So empathy is necessary then for almost, is it, is it necessary then for her to bridge the gap between my interiority and that of the other? Yes, most definitely. It's the empathy is the very possibility that the interior life of the other would manifest itself or signify itself within the interior life of the self. She does, I mean, she goes to great lengths to define empathy 
And, you know, it seems to be in common currency nowadays, you know, there's calls for empathy in the political sphere, in the workplace, in schools. But it's not always clear to me that people know what they mean by the word. So if we were to ask Edith Stein, what is empathy? What would she tell us? Yeah, well, I think uh, we can go back with her to the etymological roots of the word empathos. Empathos in Greek uh, is like the suffering, especially suffering, or at least an experience of of a person. And empathos means that the suffering of the other person would take place within myself. Uh, so for for Edith, it's it's very layered this empathy in her 1916 dissertation on the problem of empathy. Uh, she goes through all these various layers of the phenomenon. And as you mentioned in my book, uh, Human and Divine Being in Chapter 7, I try to track with her these different layers of empathy and the different, she gives four distinct uh, definitions of the phenomenon of empathy in that dissertation. But for for her, the key question would be, how do I experience what the other person experiences without reducing the other's experience entirely to my own? So she uh, analyzes empathy very carefully, and, and it would be distinct from what we might call sympathy. Sympathy might be to feel with another person, so I have a similar feeling to the other person. But empathy is um, a more intimate thing going on. There's um, what we call in theology a kind of perichoresis, uh, where a mutual um, indwelling of the experience of the other within myself. So it's not just that I feel something like they feel, but I feel precisely the purity of what they feel without that experience itself originating with me. It originates in the other person but I can experience um, what she calls this in a non-primordial way is kind of the technical language she mm-hmm. uses. But it is that process in which the I and the you merge to form a kind of collective consciousness, a collective conscious life of the we and, and forming the solidarity of persons in the end. Well, one of the aspects of your chapter on Stein, on empathy, that I, uh, one of the images that you used that I found particularly profound and rich was that of motherhood and pregnancy. Um, and you use that to explore the essence of empathy. So could you speak to that for a bit? Sure, yeah. I think it's the best image we have within the human experience to make this abstract concept of empathy more concrete, that of pregnancy, of a mother bearing a child within her own flesh, to bear the flesh of the other within the same. This is so wonderful, so beautiful, that symbiotic relationship that obtains between mother and child and how uh, the mother wills the life of her child uh, simply by letting him or her be uh, and you know, taking care of herself which promotes the health of the child and how I can't even imagine what this is like because I'm a man. <laughs> and even though I'm married to a woman and we have uh, conceived and my wife given birth to six children, I've always been so fascinated by motherhood. And, and in fact, for 
um, Christian spirituality, motherhood is paradigmatic for all humanity in as much as the human soul, whether as a man or a woman, male or female, is meant to be a womb of the divine. Like when St. Teresa of Avila talks about the soul as an interior castle, that we would bear the radically other than the self, namely God, within the self because God yearns to dwell therein. So all the Carmelite saints speak about this, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, St. Therese of the Sioux, and the rest. And so it's this feminine genius, as St. John Paul II recording this on his feast day, calls it um, the feminine genius, this peculiar form of receptivity to gift that is unique to woman, uh, that is uh, fulfilled to the highest degree in motherhood, whether um, actual motherhood or even spiritual motherhood. And we might wonder how fatherhood also relates to this uh, vocation to motherhood. But in any case, as uh, St. John Paul II writes in his apostolic exhortation, Molieris Dignitatem, that uh, husbands and fathers learn how to parent from women and mothers because they're at work parenting, you know, nine months of the, of the child in the womb. And uh, so the image of motherhood, it comes in and out of St. Edith's work uh, in her book, Essays on woman she have a collection of talks she gave on uh the catholic understanding of woman both philosophically and theologically speaking it's really a great book to read of hers uh, but um yeah overall uh the relation of pregnancy and motherhood uh, to empathy is is very helpful to understand what's meant in this more abstract sense of the phenomenon of empathy to bear the other within the same Thanks to Donald Wallenfang for his time and insight into the life and thought of Edith Stein. Be sure to check out the show notes and related links for today's episode. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show. Maybe you can also take a moment to give us a top shelf rating. Even better, maybe you haven't called your grandmother in a while, and telling her about this pod is the perfect way to be a good grandchild. Call grandma. Tell her about this podcast. We all win. We'll wrap up our focus on Edith Stein's thought on empathy next week in part two of this conversation. Until then, let's continue journeying further up and further in. <laughs>